This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others, and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Right, everyone welcome back to another episode of the worth your time podcast i'm your host erica and uh today i have a special episode because i'm talking to two people at the same time which i don't know that i've ever done that on this podcast so very exciting um angela wheeler and alicia maldonado are here to speak with me um and i'm so glad to be talking with you today ladies so um welcome to the podcast thanks for having us erica yeah, thank you. Yeah, so one of the things, and, and people that listen and know me will know what I talk about, uh, generally speaking, which is faith and the church and, and faith in our in our modern day current lives, faith in politics, all of these things, culture that swirl around us. And um, my upcoming book and some of the things I've written about. This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So, whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Relate back to church hurt and people that have been through tough circumstances in the church or within religion and have overcome that or are trying to overcome that. And you guys have been through something like that. You guys have a story to tell. So I'd love it if I guess each of you just introduce yourselves, give us the kind of the lay of the land about who you are, and then we'll get into your backstories and and kind of dive into that side of things. So I will let you go first, Angela. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I am a stay-at-home mom for the most part. I do, um, we do a collaborative school, so I send my kids to school two days a week, and I homeschool them three days a week. And then I am the director of the children's ministry at our church, and that consumes most of my time, just my kids and family and um, helping with the church stuff. Yeah. And do you live in New York? I'm in um, Nebraska, Bellevue, Nebraska. Oh, totally not New York. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Alicia, I met back in Wyoming ages ago. Um, Okay. That's what I figured. It must've been the Wyoming connection. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Alicia, tell us about yourself. Yeah. Well, I'm in New York. I'm an edit on the editorial board of the New York post and, have fun. Uh, you know, I do a lot of our foreign policy stuff and uh, freelance for other places as well. The Washington Examiner, Wall Street Journal, every now and then. Um, Independent Women's Forum. I know that we share that connection, Erica, uh-huh. a senior fellow there. 
So that's kind of what I do. Angela and I know each other, like we were just kind of referring to, we grew up together um, you know, in the same church, in the same church environment. So that was kind of what brought us together too for this project because we talk about it, you know, via text every now and then and, and things crop up and yeah, well, you guys, I mean, you told me, Alicia, that you guys were interested in sharing your story, but it was kind of like, it is kind of a weird thing, like, well, what's the best way to share it? And I think audio is a really good option. Sometimes writing isn't as powerful in terms of like a, a, a personal story like this. And and also sometimes you get people that don't really read. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Um, so you can share it multiple ways. Um, but I guess, um, I don't know who wants to start, but maybe one of you or both of you can chime in and give us what, what, what is this church? What is this background that you share? I'm so interested to hear Alicia. Like I've been so interested to hear how, um, your perspective on this. So I would love it if you don't mind going first. Sure. Um, so I, I wish I could remember this whole phrase because I used to use it all the time, the pastors of this church that we kind of grew up in, which is an e- independent evangelical fundamentalist, King James Version only Bible reading. Um, there was something else in there that they would throw in there about like fire and hell damnation or something like that. And this would be something that they would say at the pulpit all the time when they wanted like a hallelujah for reading the King James Version only of the Bible. Um, so that's just off the surface. So I mean, I, I've been trying to talk about this church experience for years. Um, but it feels so hard to distill without sounding so bitter and caustic and and, and maybe trite at sometimes because I don't know we'll we'll give bring up some stories and examples. So I hope that you know the, the hope here is not to sound so so bitter, but it was just such a very um I, I hesitate hesitate to say culty but culty kind yes. of environment. Um, you know, you didn't, you were, you didn't have friends outside of the church. They completely discouraged that. Um, so, you know, for a while we were going, Angela, you went to Lighthouse, right? The church. Yeah, that's where we, yes, that was my, those are actually the core memories that I have of the most dysfunctional aspects. I've, yeah, that the, those are like the core, and it, it bled on after that. But yes, we, that's where we we went together there. So and that was the first cool. church we went to. It was called Lighthouse Baptist Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and they also had a Christian school. So you really did, and it was a small, it, it, big. I guess big by Wyoming standards. I don't know at the time, um, which is to say, not very big. But um, so we, we really were at church. Five times a week, one, two, three, five, yeah, four to five times a week, and then at school every day. Mm-hmm. So we, they really had kind of like this power over everything that you really thought and did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I was a kid, younger, that was, you're not really thinking about bigger things anyway. <laughs> you know, you're just playing and rollerblading or whatever. Um, and it wasn't until we had moved to the next church, which I don't want to get jump too far ahead, but um, that I started thinking about, you know, the whys. And that was also get you in trouble, too, because you weren't allowed to ask too many questions. But I don't want to be so, you know, if I'm jumping around too much or just, yeah, you know, yeah, well, story, so. Well, well, Angela, what what would you want to add to that or or, or say about what she's already said? Yeah, no, I agree. Honestly, that's very, like, 
the um, matcha that you, the KJV, that whole thing, it gives you a little bit of like this, oh, I forgot about that. Um, this like reaction that you don't realize. I was reading through, I'm not going to get into your questions. But I was reading through them and talking through them with my husband who grew up in a similar, not his wasn't as staunch as what how I grew up, but um, we're talking through it and just all this stuff comes surfaces a little bit and you're like oh man I forgot that that was a thing so yeah that I I honestly can't remember your question I was so enthralled in what Alicia was saying I'm sorry (laughs) well just um I guess like memories of how it was like you know what sort of structures do you remember and and how does that sit in your mind yes exactly what she just said you were it was all consuming the because it was you were you were part of this Christian school that was owned by the church and then the, that that was like the core of who um, you hung out with was just the church. And then, um, you know, the you were sent out even, you know, for very young ages, like a little missionary. And you're supposed to you talk to people who aren't in your circle. It should be just to tell them about Jesus. <laughs> you're trying to, they, they would um, use this. What, Alicia, soul winning. Do what? It would go soul winning. Yes, you go swimming, put flyers on people's doors, and do anything you can to get them into the church because the church, not Jesus, is what would save them from hell. It's like soul winning or also like soul hunting. Is what I- yes. <laughs> and, and then they really would use the analogy of, I remember this so clearly. And I'm, I really am trying to be careful because, again, as I spoke with this about, let's talk with my husband about this. Um, my family is still very much <laughs> here um, and not as much as it was when we were Wyoming, but still in that vein. Um, and so I know their heart. So I'm trying to be careful, but there really were like, um, it would use the analogy of if I was standing here, like, do you care enough about your friends that if I were standing here holding them, they would go like this, holding them over a pit of hell, <laughs> would you save them? <laughs> like, it was that kind of like, it's a lot of pressure, I guess. Like, living in fundamentalism is just the opposite of like freedom in Jesus. It's a lot of pressure mm-hmm. to win souls, save souls, hunt souls. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, oh, I just had a thought and I totally forgot it because I didn't grow up in that um, same kind of environment necessarily, but I completely resonate with this sort of like, it's my responsibility to save people from hell uh, mentality. And and I don't know that anyone specifically actually said that to me, but I sort of took it in that way mm-hmm. and constantly used to have guilt about not evangelizing to people. Like, like it was always like, I need to witness to them. I need to witness to them. Mm-hmm. And um, it was so much pressure. Like I even remember not to like totally trail off into my story, but you're no, just bringing do. up some memories for me um, when I was in college and I did an evangelism project um, with a, with a ministry. Um, they had you like you were supposed to like, I don't know, evangelize to a certain number of people per day. And like there's a church here in town that I um, occasionally will attend. It's like our second church. Um, We just like go because we're bored on Saturday night sometimes. (laughs) Um, But it's like a mega church. And one thing I don't like about it is that they actually like have a tally of the number of people that have been saved um, on the wall. And I'm not saying like, it's, I mean, great, but like, I just think it's weird. And I don't like the tallies and I don't like the 
sort of that pressure that it's that it's on us um to do that because we can't do that you know well yeah that that would be the thing that would always get me is they would say well you know i had the real privilege of leading this person to christ as if they had done any of it you know as if it was um that you know jesus saves right um but they but it was like you know they were putting a little jewel on their crown ahead of time um yeah and you know, and, and the other thing about the environment we grew up in too is while they're, you know, while they had a, a tally of sorts, you know, because they would talk about it all the time, you know, these individuals were, I guess, to be broad with the bay, but um, but then you were you wouldn't really hang out with these people until they'd um become fully like you. you right, know? right, right. So right. so you would go to I remember I would go on a Saturday bus route. Um, when I first started, I was just going for the lunch, to be honest. Um, but then, you know, then I was like, oh, you know, this is, you know, I want, and then I started to really want to go because I liked meeting people. Um, and I remember we'd, uh, one of my bus routes was, you know, t- to hit the trailer parks in town. And, you know, so, th- you know, this is a poor side of town. People don't have, a, you know, a lot of money and, you know, and we'd walk in there with our ankle length denim skirts on because there's rules about that too um and we'd be meeting people wearing pants but inviting them to church and then being kind of put off by them when they wore pants to church because what do they know so you guys were were you required to wear skirts oh yeah we didn't wear pants i didn't wear pants till i was in the eighth grade (laughs) for me alicia i didn't know that about you we moved and then another so to go back just a little bit and give my family so much grace, my dad was um, saved out of like pretty um, rough living. And so this is what, this is what fundamentalism does. It's like, Ooh, I've saved you do all of these things that you should do in order to, they would. So a fundamental Baptist would never say like, you can lose your salvation. Right. It's like, it's the weirdest thing. You cannot lose your salvation, but also, do not wear pants if you're a woman. Do not smoke. Do not drink. Do not uh, go, go to a movie theater because you'll yes. be a friendly block for someone who might think you're going to see an R-rated film and they might have an addiction right. to pornography. Stumble. Oh my gosh. I forgot about some of this stuff. Like as I'm talking about it, I'm like, oh man. Um, I think it is more cultic than um, we probably want to admit, Alicia, because it's- I agree. When you say it out loud, you're like, oh- that is crazy. Or like, did you ever, Alicia, I don't know if you did. Did you ever go to um, hell houses or judgment houses in around Halloween? <laughs> no. Yes, I have. Listen, I wrote about this in my book that is coming out next year. Um, about a, a, like, I don't even know what you're talking about, but I think I do know what you're talking about because <laughs> the story is, um, wow, maybe my church was more messed up than I thought. Um, <laughs> You are oh, no, we are I mean, you. I do like, I, like you guys, I'm like, well, I still, you know, I love the people that I went to church with, but, um, I think it was sort of also, at least for where I was like, sort of like a weird nineties evangelical thing. I don't know. Um, but anyway, yeah, we had a, a house where we went and it was like uh, judgment day. And, uh, I was asked like, um, you know, would you hate your parents? Um, if you like, if it meant you could go to heaven. Would you hate your parents? And I remember being like, no. <laughs> and it was awful. It was so awful. And so they were like, 
you know, away from me and they like sent me to hell. And I was like, looking back, I'm like, that is so messed up because obviously the biblical interpretation of that verse is not actually that God wants you to hate your parents. It's that he just wants you to love him the most, but there's a commandment to love and obey your parents. So he would never ask you to hate them. You know, so, so much out of context stuff. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Was that something you did on Halloween? Was that what that? Yeah, it might've been. I don't remember when it was. Because we don't believe Halloween. Did Alicia, did you say yes or no? You did those. I did not do. Okay. So, cause I couldn't remember if that was Wyoming or Texas when we went to Texas. That must've been Texas. Every we year. had the, um, we had the, um, left behind nights where yes. I had dreams of guillotines for years. Yes. Our oh my gosh. The left behind stuff. And then yes. do you remember Alicia, there was some sort of, um, play or something at that house. And I just remember in part of it that, People came from behind the stage dressed in black and were like dragging people to what was supposed to be hell. Oh my gosh. Do you remember? That yes. I do not remember. I, I, I don't know if went there. But so that's what these judgment houses are in Texas, the Halloween ones where you go. I should send y'all a trailer of this. I'm going to send you a trailer when we get off. But yes, you go um, into this house and you are greeted like it's you know it's like a Christian haunted house, just like Christian Baptist Independent Fundamental Baptists don't celebrate Halloween. We celebrate. We have harvest parties instead of. And we also we also celebrate by turning off all of the lights in your house and pretending you're not home. Oh yeah, that's true too. Anyway, um, anyway, so these houses you go in and you're you're there are these actors who are like teenagers from youth groups, whatever, and they're they're putting on different scenes, and so maybe one of them one year will be this group of teenagers who are tempted to drink alcohol and their parents have this conversation and and don't drink alcohol. And then of course the teenager goes and they drink alcohol and then they drive and they get in an accident and they die. And all along the way, there's some Christian trying to tell them about Jesus and they're rejecting Jesus. So then when they die, they're taken to like the judgment seat and there are like people dressed in like awful demony costumes and it's meant to represent hell and they drag you drag them away to hell and then after this whole scene unfolds you you and all your friends that you tricked into coming to this haunted house so that they would be saved get to go to this person and they say like do you accept or reject right if you reject, you just leave the haunted, whatever, the judgment day thing. And it's like shamey. And if wow. you accept, you go into this room and um, it's white. And I think maybe like Jesus is hanging on a cross or something. And there's um, several pastors waiting to just tell you about Jesus and how he wants to save you from this crazy. Anyway, I did not know that uh, this was uncommon and I was at a Bible study the other night and somehow hell came up and they were like, um, how often we're talking about our relationship with health and how often do you think about hell? And I was like, I think a lot. And I have a weird relationship with it. And I was like, you guys know like judgment houses and ever since <laughs> like, no, we don't. What are about? This sounds crazy. And I was like, Oh, I guess it is. crazy." Well, you know, it's, Interesting as you are talking about it, that I feel like I've been to more than one of those. Like every year, it's kind of coming back to me now. I, I've gone to things like that before, and I definitely went to um, some. There was some kind of event that I went to one time that I believe it was related to um, piercing the darkness, and you know that book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it was all about spiritual warfare and they just freaked me out. And I remember for like two years, I was afraid to sleep in my room by myself because I would constantly be picturing demons and angels fighting over my bed. (laughs) And actually sometimes that vision still gets into my head. Um, Obviously I sleep fine now, but uh, it was very scarring. I think I was like 10. Yeah. It's amazing to me. You know, that there's three of us sitting here talking about things like this from childhood, and they are still so fresh in our minds as if they've just happened. And I think it's really powerful. Well, what, it's what churches, you know, the power that they have over what I yeah, like to say, minds and faiths. Like a kid, obviously, whose whose brain is still developing, like you're you're putting like visions and imprints into a brain that's being formed still right um that's going to shape sort of how they see the world for the rest of their lives and yep. so that's why this or any other kind of sort of well it's i mean obviously kids are learning stuff every day so depending on what you're talking about whether it's religion or what they're learning in school or whatever um that kind of stuff is like really important and <laughs> yeah. how it's done um, so aside from the hell houses and the dresses and the soul hunting, um, what are some other things uh, that come to mind? Or are there any other like, you know, weird uh, fundamentalist things that come to, to, to your mind that you remember? I could um, be here all day. <laughs> um, <laughs> there, I mean, so after we, you know, we, after we left Lighthouse, our family left Lighthouse and we left Lighthouse because the pastor of the church had an affair with the assistant pastor's wife and was a lot of church money and then took off. Oh my gosh. That's like a classic, uh, (laughs) into that. As they actively preach against sex from the podium, you know? Uh, Um, so we went to this other church. Did you go to, yeah, you went to Homestead briefly. I think very briefly, but we moved. I honestly, I've asked my parents when, like, why did we leave Wyoming? And that was a huge part of it was that affair. And because they also, sorry, Alicia, just really fast. Yeah, um, this just fits right here. But the, the other thing about this particular church, um, they really did kind of, I feel comfortable using the word pray. I wouldn't use that word with all fundamentalists, fundamentalists, but I think in this particular circumstance, Sometimes the, particularly the pastor would prey on volunteers and like become pretty um, spiritually abusive and kind of take advantage Mm -hmm. of them. And my parents found themselves in that situation um, where they were being used for the purpose of this church. You know, my dad was working a ton of hours helping with odds and ends of the church. My mom was teaching at this school for no money. (laughs) So they kind of, I've asked them before, like, why do we leave? And basically like to get out of Dodge, they're like, they, they wanted to get out of that. And so we went back to, to Texas where, where we were from, but that is, so we were briefly at the other church, Alicia, but um, we, we went to a different, we moved to Texas after that. I remember, you, I remember you guys would come visit and um, stuff like that. You'd come to Homestead, which is wow. the church that I really attribute my, the, my own, my, biggest personal damage um because I was a kid at the lighthouse you know and I and I you know my best friend was the assistant pastor's daughter and so one day I had a best friend when I was six or seven the next day she was gone and I didn't see her again for years and I had no idea I had no number none of nothing um but when I started becoming you know you know like preteen or you know teenager and really just starting to think through things 
you know, and, and you know, another Baptist phrase is to say, quote, you're on fire for the Lord. Um, and so to use that parlance in this example, in the story, you know, I felt like I was on fire for God. You know, I and in these in these churches that we're talking about in this, there is only a couple of certain things that women could do. You could teach and you could be a nurse. You could be a missionary or a pastor's wife um, or whatever. That was about it. You know, like what they really encouraged. Um, and so I would just start to, I don't know, ask questions because as, because um, in my mind I was, if I'm going to peddle this, um, then I would like to know why it is that we believe that what we say we do and why we're saying it the way that we're saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believed it at the time, so to use the word peddle, but, and it, that would get shot down because we weren't allowed to ask questions mm-hmm. um, to quote, que- question the pastor who has, you know, the authority of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't believe in that. Clearly, I'm, I don't. I'm a journalist. Um, but uh, but I remember getting in trouble for asking the question, why a lot? As if I was being combative or one another favorite, rebellious. Um, you know, I, I had a friend, my one of a friend's family, when I was, I was 14 when we started going to the church, 13 or 14. And one of the founders of the church wouldn't let her her children be friends with me because, and he told me years later that they said a direct quote that I was a rebellious boy, crazy slut. Oh my gosh. And, uh, and I was like, well, I am wearing a dress that goes up to my neck and down to my ankles. I'm 14. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know? So these sorts of things were just really, what, and that environment were really damaging for me. And so like, you know, not asking a lot to be allowed to ask questions. If you were um, a tomboy as I was, then you definitely had to be segregated. Um, like boys couldn't put their foot on the back of your chair, you know, like um, if you sat next to one of your guy friends in, in church, there was literally needed to be a Bible between you. Yes. These sorts of things. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, did I go off on a trip? Like, did I just take off? Yeah. No, no, you didn't go off on a tangent. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. No, no, you were, I mean, you were answering my question, which is like telling me some of these weird, crazy circumstances and things that happened. Um, But clearly at about that point, Alicia, you were starting to at least be curious and a little bit skeptical um, by starting to ask questions. And I don't know if you had the same experience, Angela, but I guess let's move to when that time of when you did start to go, Hey, maybe something isn't right about this. Like, tell me about that experience. Either one. Angela, do you have, I'm sorry. So, so the question is like, tell me about the time when you began to question sort of your background and, and going, maybe this wasn't right. Yeah. For me, it wasn't until, so as Alicia was saying, you really weren't allowed to ask questions and the one of the markers of um like this type of unhealthy atmosphere is just a single unchecked pastor like you have a yeah. pastor unchecked authority what they say goes yes There's like this quote board of deacons but really like you can do what you want i mean it's really unchecked the authority is and yeah. part of the way they keep it that way is by not allowing you to ask questions um I didn't start, you know, I ended up going to like a a Baptist Bible college and um, it wasn't until 
I met my husband that I really started to, because I had, I had a place where I could process these questions where I wouldn't just be either told like, um, don't act like, because the, the interesting thing is that like the Bible was always the answer, whether it was in context or not. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this is, is the reason thou shalt not wear that which pertaineth to a man. KJV. That is why you can't wear dress pants. Like that's why a girl has yeah. to wear dress. Um, at least that's what I remember being told. Well, yeah. Uh, and that, never mind. Um, you know, the, like context matters when you're reading the Bible, like really big, important part of knowing what to know, like what to know when you read the Bible, context matters. Absolutely. And so I was in college still just like going along. I mean, and honestly, part of the thing too, that fundamentalism does, I didn't really um, question, but I secretly went against authority. I wasn't willing to, like Alicia, it sounds like you were more willing to have the conversation. I was too afraid to. So I secretly had hidden sin, like secret sin that I couldn't talk with anyone about. And um, I remember the, one of the mantras too, being like, your sin is between you and God, which is kind of interesting since the Bible says to confess your sins one to Yeah, another. that doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> and also just being it's Which such is funny a, because I did publicly discipline you for that thing, but we get yes, I've been in churches where, um, Oh, I still remember this is the saddest thing. This girl was late teens, early twenties and got pregnant out of wedlock and they made her go up on the stage and apologize to the church for it. No, that's happened more than once, more than once. No that is so messed up. The so most recent up. time that, I, and then in that same church, there was, um, a couple who, Somebody had 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 an affair, I want to say, yeah. and they made that the person who cheated go on the stage and confess what they had done. The detail things yeah. that they did. You yes. know, it's like I guess you can kind of see if that was like the pastor confessing, yes. but not just like a regular church member, like to the whole church. You know, right, but then to tell us tell you that your sins are between you and God, unless. Yeah, unless you're going to tell the whole entire it's such a you know it's such a weird con- like contradiction. Unless it's the sexual sin, that's always right. The- of course, right. It's so bizarre because, yeah, right. Sexual sin is the sin, but it's so bizarre because it does kind of create this um, this culture of it 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 creates a culture of hiding and secrecy because you're like, well, I have the sin that I'm struggling with, and I don't have anyone I'm allowed to talk to about this because I'll be shamed or like. It mostly shamed, honestly. Um, and so I'm just going to keep it to myself and either either be fine, just like, sure, I'll have this hidden sin or try to figure it out myself. And then you're like reeling and unable because you can't. Like, it's just we're all humans and we're all going to sin. And part of the Christian walk is bearing one another's burdens and helping one another in those sins and like helping one another out of those sins through Jesus. But sorry, that was a tangent. <laughs> but no, I can't even remember now what the question was. Well, yeah, I think we were sort of just still on that tack of like telling stories. You had mentioned the pregnant girl on stage. Um, And so you had been saying like you didn't necessarily ask the questions like Alicia did. And so when did you, I guess, sort of start to break free? In college, I met my husband and um, we both were working through this. Like he had started reading Piper and that's when he started really questioning um, some of the ways that he was raised again, he was not raised as kind of staunch as I was, but, um, he started just questioning a lot of things and, um, we started dating and we actually almost broke up because 
of that. Like I didn't know how to like follow someone who wasn't my pastor or my direct authority, like my dad. I didn't know how, what that looked like. And so um, he kind of introduced me to this, at least like to question it. And it wasn't until um, we moved to Nebraska and we, um, because of his like research and reading, he's, he's, um, he's an internal processor. He had been doing all, unbeknownst to me, he had been brought, we got married and he's still like processing all of this stuff. Um, and he's the, he was in the active duty military at the time. And he was in Washington for five or six weeks and he came home and all of a sudden he's like, Hey, let's try out this church. And it wasn't a Baptist church. It was just this whole weird thing. I was, I was very resistant to it because I just, felt like I was doing something wrong. Like By not going to a Baptist church. Yes. Yeah. I felt like I was sinning. And it was like, we, I mean, we had it out and we had at this point been married maybe two years. And, um, and he, he finally, he's like, fine, fine. We'll go to, cause we had been going to this Baptist church here in Nebraska. Um, he's like, fine, we'll just keep going to this church. But I feel like my soul is going to rot. And I was like, Okay, and that kind of made me go. Well, I certainly don't want my husband. And he was being serious; he wasn't being manipulative. He's like, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna force you to do this, but it's gonna be detrimental to my like spiritual health. And so we started going to this church um, in Nebraska that um, was just different, um, and they did life differently. You like the, you know, like the small group thing, but it wasn't a Bible study. Like we had, anytime we had a small group situation, it was like almost like a contest of like who knew their Bible the best. (laughs) And this was just a bunch of people who know that they're sinners coming together, talking about like, maybe you're talking about a sinner struggling with that week, or maybe you're talking about something that you're trying to work through with your family, but you're doing it together and you're Mm -hmm. like honest about it. And it's safe. And, and that it took me years to, to like open up to that. And then what I, what I realized was that I, I was being somewhat open while still hiding. I still had this culture of hiding and shame and fear very deep in my soul. And honestly, I still, I still struggle with that. Now I have to work hard to be fully open. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it goes back to just these core memories of like, you should keep your sin between you and God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like the altar calls Alicia where they're like, raise your hand if you need prayer. This is just between you and God. And like, everyone will be looking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's funny. I know. It's like, anytime uh, I was like, everybody close your eyes. You like, you're like, I know everybody's not closing their eyes. Exactly. I'm speaking around the corner. Like college for me that I started and then it didn't really fully evolve until I've been married a couple of years, so in my early to mid twenties. Uh, and do you still go to that same church that you moved to? So we, um, yes and no. Our that church planted another church that we helped with that planting the other church. So we're still like a sister church of that church. Oh, okay. And okay. Is in Omaha, and then what we planted is in Bellevue, which is where, which is like a suburb of Omaha. Okay. All right. I have more questions, but before we do that, let me hear your sort of transformation story, Alicia. Yeah, so I think you know there there was so much that went on that got it you know that got to the point where you know my family had 
you know, so to, to my best friend at the time, he, 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 his family got kicked out of the church while they're on holiday for reporting child abuse um, to, to the city because the woman was a licensed caregiver mm. and she had gone to the pastor. He didn't do anything about it. So he kicked him out. So that was kind of like the, that started um, this kind of role for me where I was so bitter and angry and like a, a very screw you sort of attitude. But I also was not going to let them drive me out, even though they, I know that that was what they were looking for, you know, oh. at that point, which is just so weird to be really focused on a teenage girl in a way um, who continued to go to church without her family because and what what I would always say was, you know, I, I loved God, you know, I like, I was there for, you know, what I believe were the right reasons. And I refused to let them drive me out just because they didn't like that. I, you know, listened to secular music or was friends with this family that they'd kicked out, you know, all sorts of weird things. So I, I, I continued going um, for maybe, maybe a year by myself. Um, and then I just, I, I mean, I, I don't, I can't remember what the exact catalyst was, but um, I, I guess it must have just been a buildup. And then I went for about uh, so bitter and angry about 10 years of really rejecting faith, religion, God at all. Um, yeah, for about 10 or 12 years. Um, and so I was just going to ask, why did your parents stop going there? You know, I wish I, I could remember exactly. You know, um, I think my mother just got fed up. And, you know, I'll say this. I was going to mention this earlier. You know, while we're Angela and I are talking about the these environments in which we were raised, in my my parent it did not feel that way at home even though those were some of the rules you know my parents didn't um get saved until they were you know late 20s early 30s and they were in the military and they happened to find like you know when you're stationed abroad and far away from everyone they found like this little community in this church this baptist church and they were really good people as i'm told and so because they that's how they came to know christ they believed that that was where they had to stay and so when we got stationed in Wyoming, um, that's how we ended up in this Baptist church. But it, it didn't feel, you know, my dad was in the military, so he would always be out in the field, you know, like he'd be gone for the weekend. So he wasn't at church with us most of the time anyway. Um, so it was really, you know, me and my two sisters and my mother. Um, but my mom was a very ornery Brit. So she... We don't suffer fools that way in the same way. So I think she just decided that enough is enough. And the way that people spoke about, you know, her children, I think would be one thing. And just that she just had enough with it, I think. Well, that's interesting to hear you say they felt like they needed to stay within the the denomination that they were saved within, because I hadn't really thought about that. But that is one of the things that I have found um is part of the problem with this is that people feel so um attached to their denominational ties mm -hmm. um you see that a lot with the catholics um they don't they grew up catholic and maybe they they leave the church for for whatever reason there's a lot i mean the catholic church has suffered 
a lot in the past couple right. decades, uh, understandably, but, um, but then they don't go try anything else because that's all they're, that's all they know. That's all they're used to. Right. Um, or vice versa, like somebody, um, you know, that grew up in a, maybe a stricter type of church. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of times people are told like, the Catholics, not even a Christian, you hear that kind of right. thing. But, and so uh, they would never even consider trying a Catholic church or trying a more liturgical type of church. And so right. um, that is one of the stereotypes or one of the sort of barriers that I really want to break in conversations is just like, my whole mantra is like, you don't, the church of your, um, the church of your past is not the church of your future. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. And, um, and part of why I love that we're having this conversation is because it just goes to show you that like, it's really, it can be very toxic to like, feel like you have to hold on to that or feel that that's the only option when there's so many other options and so many more, so much, um, what's that? What am I trying to say? a healthier perspective is there, but a lot of people don't know that it's there. Right. So I want to be like, it's there, it's out there. Um, so anyway, yeah, all that to say. Um, My sister broke out of that too. To yeah. To the Baptist and now she's at, you know, like a more non-denominational church that is, she's a head of music there and, or one of the heads of music there and a richer, yeah. a richer fuller, um, faith, uh, I want to say faith or walk with, with the Lord. Um, it feels more vibrant, you know, she feels more free as Angela was saying, you know, more free in, um, in your faith, I guess, you know? Yeah. So it sounds like you guys had two really different experiences. You kept going to church, but you switched to a uh, church that you felt more comfortable with and like was really more aligned with what ultimately you wanted. And then Alicia, you left church completely. So yeah. that's interesting to me. So what, I guess, how did you come back? I mean, after all that time, what drew you back? Um, you know, like after I graduated from college, I went to college in California. Um, I moved back home for six, back to Wyoming for six months before I moved to the city. And I don't know, my dad and I would, you know, there's two neighboring towns, like 45 minutes away, one to Colorado, one in, to another part of Laramie. And we would, um, he would listen to like um, Robbie Zacharias, um, whom I still love, just, you know, despite all of these things that are coming out allegedly about him. Well, we I, didn't know back then. Which we didn't know. I, I mean, I, I still, there's, there, I read all of his books and there was still a line in it that utterly shattered me and was kind of like um, the turning point for me, which is when he details, I can't remember which of his books it is, Jesus Among Other Gods or something where he talks about his suicide attempt in the, in the mm. first, um, you know, in the uh, preface. And he says this line that still st stands with me. So I'm alone for it. Such is the grace of a Christ who meets us where we are, where we're at. Mm -hmm. And that I remember sitting on the couch and just being utterly broken by that because I was so bitter and so angry. Um, and I didn't know how to get over that. And, and it, and it still took me many years after I kind of found faith, you know, found my faith in God again to forgive these things. And then I remind myself when I talk about them that I've forgiven them. But I also think of, so it was basically, I think it was a bit of reading, uh, doing a lot of reading. But I always think of, you know, that C.S. Lewis quote, you know, not necessarily that I was the most reluctant convert, but do you remember, do you know that phrase where he talks about, you must picture me alone in that room in Magdalene in his college, college 
night after night feeling whenever my mind lifted for a second from my work or from my study, the unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. And, mm. and he goes on and he says, so he finally gives in and then he kneels and he confesses that God is God. And he said, but what I didn't see then, and I might bastardize this quote, but what I didn't see then, what is now the most shining and obvious thing, it's um, the, the divine humility that will accept a convert even on such, on such terms. Yeah. The prodigal son at least walked in on his own two feet. Um, so that kind of broke me too, like someone who would so, I, I, I felt, I could feel that unrelenting approach of him um, mm. in my mind, even though I had already been saved, you know? And so yeah. there's that. I think that kind of put me on the path of softening myself a little bit. And then I would just, um, I would pray one of Augustine or Augustine's affairs. I don't know if, how you how people pronounce it, but um, when he, when he writes, um, who are you to me that you should demand to be loved by me and angry if I do not, Mm. Say unto me, to say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Say it so I can hear it. Um, I'm listening. You know, say unto my face, and let me run toward that voice, lest I die. Indeed, one day, you know, I'll die one way or another. Um, and I think it was a combination of those things. And I prayed that prayer: Who are you to me that you should demand to be loved by me and angry with me if I do not say to me, I am thy salvation? I would pray that over and over and over again until I believed it. Wow! And I remembered that I believed it. You know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think I think Augustine has another quote where he talks about how, um, you know, once you you know you realize that you didn't find him, he'd already found you first. Mm -hmm. um, to be very uneloquent in my Saint Augustine quote. <laughs> hey, I feel like you've done a great job, like quoting oh, no, memory. <laughs> I've I have had these things in my head for many years. I'm like never the person that can quote anything. I'm like. I don't know. Somebody said this. It was sort of like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I did them like no real justice. But, um, I, but I would pray them and I had committed um, them to memory for a long time. So now that, you know, a couple of years, years yeah, gone by. That reminds me of something. Um, I was talking to my son the other day and he's five. And, um, you know, it's so interesting what your kids teach you about God, because you have to explain things that you haven't thought about in a really long time because they ask you these questions. You're like, wow, that's a really deep question, right? And so yeah. he had been asked or been talking about like, why do we love God at church? And I was like, well, why, why do we love God, Jacob? And he's like, because he loves us back. And I said, no, because he loved us first. Yes. And I was like, oh man, that's like, I knew that, but I hadn't thought about it. And like, what a cool thing to teach him. Like, yeah. It's not because he loves us back. It's because he loved us first because he picked us. Yeah, exactly. And that sort of just reminded me of that. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, uh, Augustine was very good for my heart. Yes, yes. Well, and, and also, Lewis. yeah, anybody, I mean, C.S. Lewis, just uh, read C.S. Lewis, people. Come on, I, come if you on, have right? it. Pick it up. There's so many good ones. Or just look up some quotes, even. Exactly. <laughs> if you really want the whole, like, full, you know, the full narrative, he talks about what, you know, hear from an atheist himself, you know? Yeah, he was an atheist. I mean, and, and then to the enlightenments and the, just the things that God give, gave him to say are just, I mean, they're some of the most profound things you'll ever hear about God and will live on, you know, for as long as we're, this earth is going on, you exactly, know, yeah. um, they will live on. And, and C.S. Lewis is just like a gift, gift to the world for sure. Um, and so did you go back to church at some point within this time, Alicia? 
No, it wasn't until I moved to the city um, that started going to church here and there. Um, you know, when I'd go visit my sister and stuff, I, I still had, I still had these remnants of, they're really, the, the, the Baptist fundy stuff is just really hard to break from. Even like, I'm 35 now. And, you know, I we're having this conversation. I still think about how it permeates, um, you know, my daily life. So I remember, so I had a hard time with churches for a long time because, I mean, just inherently, I had a problem with authority in general. Um, not that I was rebellious, as they like to say. I just, you know, I don't like being told what to do or or told how to think. Um, and so I just, I really bucked against that for a long time. So I would go in there and I would sing the hymns with all with all my heart at the top of my lungs because I love hymns. And then the preaching would start and I could feel myself turn off. And I remember I would go to church with my sister and, and I was in college at this point and I was still so angry with pastors, you know, um, specifically that I would sit in the front row and then read like my college evolution book. <laughs> I mean, and I didn't even mean it. Like, I, I, it was like, I believe what you're saying, but I'm just being a jerk, you know, because I don't trust you, mm-hmm. you know? So, so shines a good light on my character, I think. Did you... And I don't know if you had the same issue, Angela, trusting a authority that way. But for both of you, I guess, has there been a turning point in that? And have you been able to trust church authority again? For, so it's interesting, as you're saying that, Alicia, I have, this is also showing you a lot about my personality. I had kind of this, um, the, I wouldn't say the opposite, but I never was angry with um, pastors like in general or authority in general, not that I didn't, you know, in my teen years, like rebel against authority, but it, overall, in fact, I was um, just the other day, was I talking with one of my, oh, I was talking with one of my pastors about something and, and I had this, um, all of a sudden I just had this like, oh my goodness, I still look at pastors as like ultimate authority sometimes because mm-hmm. I was asking them, <laughs> both my pastors were, and I was asking them, something related to our gospel community. And they both were kind of like, you're allowed to just make that decision. Like, what do you mean? Like, no, you don't have to run this bias basically. And I know that I've been in community with these people for years. Like we moved to Nebraska in 2008. I've known, like it's been a long time since I've really known these people, but I still have this, like I go back to this insecure place because that's where fundamentalism keeps you kind of insecure like you can't be secure in your salvation because if you screw up that's like ultimate it feels ultimate you don't want to backslide that was one of their other favorite yes. things yes backslidden christian because and you know why Ian and i were talking about this last night the i we our theory is that the the terminology of backsliding had to be introduced because how else do you reconcile the way that you like come to Christ what come to Christ which also by the way this is a side note Alicia did you know that your mom is actually who I like prayed the sinner's prayer with no I did not know that (laughs) so funny because you know growing up this is this is another hard thing about fundamentalists I think that the Christian walk is going to be a walk of like ups and downs and, and you're going to struggle and have doubts but the difference whenever you're struggling and having those doubts like where I am now is I can actually turn to Jesus or turn to my husband or turn to my pastor whomever somebody and talk about hey man I'm struggling with xyz 
But in fundamentalism, if you have these doubts, you're like, oh man, I just gotta, I don't know, make my skirt longer and make faith, sure I'm not smoking. Pick it up. Yeah. Pick that up. <laughs> Increase <laughs> your faith. Yeah. So I'll pick that up. Yeah. yeah. I go back and I struggled for years about like, well, when did I get saved? I think I was baptized multiple times because I'm like, oh, I was saved. And then, well, maybe I wasn't actually saved. You I know, um, I, I interviewed a girl early, earlier this year. Her name is Megan Westra. And she has a book that she wrote called Born Again Again <laughs> uh, because she was saved like so many times as a kid. Uh, and that's, and, and I, I totally resonate with that. I was baptized once. Um, I did like the sinner's prayer or like rededicated my life several times. <laughs> Rededicated your life is like the phrasing that we use. Oh yes, yeah. Um, and then I remember other kids like in in school and stuff being like, "Yeah, I've been baptized like five times," and I was like, "I feel yes. like that's you don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah. because you're like, oh man. Well, also it's like, oh, I really, really, really don't want to go to hell. So now <laughs> <laughs> <gonna> make sure. <laughs> Let me overpray this one. But I will say, Alicia, this is what's I actually love this. Um, I always go back. I, I still remember where, like, I always go back and I do know that the time that I prayed with your mom and was like, when I felt like conversion started, like that's mm-hmm. like my, the beginning of, you know, because he's forever working at our salvation in us. But right. that's where I feel like was like something shifted in me. And anyway, I love that, that it was your mom. <laughs> I didn't know that. I learned something new today. Yeah. But, um, Again, I forgot your questions. I'm really bad. At no, I I was asking about the church authority thing, and you kind of answered that. Oh, and I was and and Alicia, you, um, I I needed to get your answer still about were you ever able to trust church authority, and and do you now currently go to a church, um, and how's that relationship now? Um, I will tell you that it's a constant struggle, <laughs> um, and I think. The- so um, we'll, I'll go to Redeemer Presbyterian, which is on the Upper West Side here in Manhattan, Timothy Keller's church. He found yeah, I was it. like, Tim Keller, what, what? <laughs> that is not a reason to go. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I love him. I, I just finished one of his books. He has so many. I love Tim Keller. I love the way that he, so um, I don't go all the time. Um, it's something that I've been trying to be better about. Um, but what I really appreciated about Tim Keller and some of the other um, associate pastors at Redeemer one of the things that made me feel that um, this was a place that I could go to and is that, um, you know, they, they, they use humor, you know, like there's, they're sound, you know, theologically, but also they don't pretend that we don't live in this world. And so, mm-hmm. and especially in this city. And so they, they use the things that we live with and, and are surrounded by or a Britney Spears lyric that I'll, you know, that you can use to point, you know, back to God's goodness or, you know, existence. Um, but I still, but I still struggle with that. Yeah. Just what you're saying. I just, I'm trying to remember if this is okay. Yeah. The book I just finished is called the reason for God and, and belief in an age of skepticism and just how you exactly how you just described the church he describes in that book about, you know, people, people basically told him like, you're never going to have a, a theologically conservative church is never going to survive in New York city, but yet it has. And, yeah. um, and, but that, but the reason it partially has is because he is a realist and um, he welcomes the skeptics. And, and yes. as you know, probably their website says skeptics welcome. It probably says that on a sign somewhere too. <laughs> um, and so 
Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think he's a great one for people listening. Most people know who he is, but he is a great one to sort of start reading up on and following. And maybe that book I just mentioned, I'm not a skeptic, but um, but I found the book fascinating and really interesting. So um, yeah, go ahead. I, I, what I, the things that I, again, like about him, but also I always say, and this is what, you know, Angela and I have been talking about how we were always discouraged, but I always say that my, one of my favorite facets of God is that he invites us to doubt, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. rather than what we've been taught, it is a way for him to show himself again and again and again and be glorified. Um, because, I mean, can you imagine any other relationship ever that someone says, you can keep on doubting me and I'm going to keep on proving myself to you because I love you that much? Mm-mm. Most people would say, at some point, I love you, but this is where I leave you. Yeah. Um, but, and I, and, and faith isn't an easy thing. Um, life isn't an easy thing. And so there are going to be, you know, valleys where you really do have to just be reminded again who you believe in. And sometimes that looks like despair and doubt. And he, you know, as Corey Ten Boom says, there's no well so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Um, So I I think that it's a travesty to to really kind of poo-poo that, to put it, you know, lightly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I like that, you know, that, you know, Redeemer kind of created a place for people Mm -hmm. like that, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And anyone who can quote Lord of the Rings all day long, I'm down for. (laughs) Is that what he does? Oh, he loves Lord of the Rings. Okay. I was going to say, I wouldn't do well with that because I've never seen it, but don't he? I know. I know. J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were besties. Yes. Um, yes. Okay. So I guess to, we're going to kind of round out the conversation here. But okay. So given where you guys are now, and Angela, we can start with you. Um, you have obviously found a church community and a faith that you believe in and want to stick with. Um, so I guess like, tell us where you are now in your faith and and why you felt it was worth really the pursuit to um, remain connected to God. Yeah. Um, so I'm in a really thankfully um, good place in my faith right now. I feel um, confident most days. <laughs> I still find myself doubting, but um, that's like Alicia was just saying, it's invited and it's welcome. And um, I think I, um, yeah, I, so I'm trying to be um, careful and kind and um, thoughtful of people because I'm there's the fundamentalism is still like a really big thing. And I think, um, you don't know that you're in it (laughs) until you're out of it. And then you like look back. And so, um, I just have so much grace. And also I think that God uses like broken people and broken theology and broken things to, Mm -hmm. you know, fulfill his plan and his purpose. And I think that's what's happened here is that this was, you know, this bus route that I make fun of because it's like, sounds crazy now is what got my baby brothers into the church. And then what got my mom and dad eventually into the church and how they even became Christians. And like, I, um, I, I find myself both frustrated with the way that I feel like they kind of got sucked into that. And, um, I, they didn't have the tools to fight it, but also so thankful that God chose to like, that that's the path that he chose. I wouldn't undo any of my like upbringing because of, I think that um, working through and processing your past helps kind of ground you um, in where you are now. Like if you don't process through that, then you can't ground yourself properly in Christ now. Mm-hmm. And so 
that was a long answer, but I'm comfortable. I'm thankful. I love Jesus. I'm thankful for all he's done for me. And I'm thankful for the community of people that I have. And I'm also weirdly thankful for the path that he brought me on to get here. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and I guess, well, okay, I got one last question, but I want Alicia to go first, and then I'll ask you both the last question. So Alicia, tell me about, you know, sort of where you are now. I know you a little bit described it earlier, but mm-hmm. um, maybe you can expand on that. You know, it's just, um, it's an everyday, um, you know, what what Luther says, what will you do in the mundane days of faithfulness? Mm-hmm. And I, I think mm-hmm. about that a lot. Um, so every day is, is how do I, how do I be faithful? Um, and so I think I'm just trying to be more prayerful, um, try to, you know, actually, you know, Keller always says, you know, we have, luckily we have a one way, you know, we have a straight avenue up to talk to the author of all things. So why don't we, why don't we do that? We wouldn't ignore our family, you know? Mm -hmm. So I try to remember that and try to be faithful, you know, even in the mundane, um, I guess that's kind of where I am. And, well, you know, yeah. And I mean, I think that's such important thing to remember because most things are mundane, you know, and, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I have talked about in the past um, related to my first book that I wrote, um, Leaving Cloud Nine, is the luxury of the mundane. Um, mm-hmm. When we have mundaneness, actually, that's a blessing because the opposite of that could be trauma. It could be um, tragedy, you know? And so I think that sometimes is a good thing to keep in mind. Um, but you're right. Like most things are mundane and, you know, you mentioned earlier being on fire for God is something your church said. And I've heard that too. And the thing is, is like, we're not always going to be on fire for God. And most times we're not going to be on fire, whatever that means. We're not going to be on the mountaintop all of the time. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, it's in these, it's in the going to church and the prayer and the faithfulness every day that like our faith is slowly, I think, built up and a foundation is, is there. And we do get to know God better a little by little, um, just by remaining faithful that way. So, um, I think that's something people forget sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, I and so like, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, no, go ahead. You know, I just, uh, I guess I just read a ton. And so I, I put in these things into my brain to remind myself, you know, much eloquent, you know, speakers and stuff. But um, I often think too, when I reflect on this whole, you know, this whole uh, church journey to, you know, to, I feel like the bachelors use ruined the word journey, but, um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but um, you know, cause I, I used to focus so much on the people, right. You know, so I always try to remember, you know, what Lewis says, you know, the hardness of God is, is softer than the kindness of men and his compulsion is our liberation. Mm. And, so I really, I try to live in that space too of, you know, this is, this is freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Girl, you got the quotes, man. <laughs> I need to have a memory bank like you do. <laughs> I could not quote like that. I'm so jealous. Um, so the last question I want to just ask you guys is, um, you know, a message that you might have for someone that has been through similar things that you've been through. That is maybe they are, not where you are now and they're just sort of overcoming it. They're just sort of recognizing the fundamentalism where they have become callous to faith because of what they went through. Like, what would you say to them as encouragement or um, just advice? 
I think kind of what I touched on a little bit ago, just like that God has a bigger plan for you. Like God has, um, God has good things in store for you. And I mean, I think the terminology of like walking away from God is interesting to me anyway, because if he has you, he has you. Um, Mm -hmm. But I do think that, well, there were, I was also going to say there were two resources that were really helpful. I forgot about whenever I first started um, kind of processing this other, one of us is called the gospel centered life. And then the other one is um, sonship. And I can't remember. I know um, Bob and Will Walker did the gospel centered life. And I'm trying to think of, Sonship. It's like world mission organization, I think, but those were just super helpful because um, it just kind of really on a very basic level takes you through like, I don't know if you've heard of the cross chart, but this just these different um, simplified ways of understanding the gospel, especially if you've, if you've got it ingrained in your system um, in a pretty broken way, it, it helps with the undoing. And then sonship just talks about like your relationship with Christ that he sees you as daughter or son and, um, those were really, really good for me. So I would just encourage anyone who might be tempted to just throw their hands and give up to persevere and like trust that God is good and that he has good things for you and that he uses broken things and broken people mm-hmm. all the time to bring people to himself. Yeah. Brokenness isn't a mistake. It is not the absence of God's goodness. Amen. Yeah. I would say, um, well, to people like me, I suppose, ask questions. Get angry if you have to. Uh-huh. To quote Mumford and Sons, it's all right, take it out on me. I feel like God says that, you know. <laughs> um, so, you know, get angry, ask questions, and take it out on God if you need to, because He'll be there and He'll be there. Um, and He'll redeem you again and again. Um, so, yeah. He'd rather you get angry than walk away. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah, that's that's such a great point. I think people. People, I think, maybe have the perception that you can't get mad at God or something. Right. And, and still believe in him and still be a Christian. Yes. Yeah. But, like, you can, and we see that in the Bible, you know, sure. people getting upset with God all the time. And, him, you know, like, what, even in the Bible. Like, yeah. You know, you know, in, in Job, when, when Job's friends have to, you know, um, you know, God punishes Job's friends, but not Job. And toward the end, and they say, why? And he said, because he brought his anger to me, mm-hmm. you know, which is a poor paraphrasation of, of that scripture. But, you know, he, he, he ultimately rewards Job for, you know, lamenting and really mm-hmm. railing right at God's face. Like, why are you doing this to me? I have not done anything to deserve this. I am faithful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he said, he brought, he brought his anger to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even not at all to compare ourselves to Jesus, but even Jesus is saying like, you know, God, if you can take this away from me and my God, why have you forsaken me? And, um, and so we just see that, you know, I guess sort of feeling your emotion is not sinful in and of itself. And, um, and, and, and even if you are sinning in that, like we're gonna sin and, um, there is no relationship. Like if you are, if you have a relationship with someone and you've never been upset with them or argued with them or had a disagreement, then you probably don't know them that well. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, like the Christian walk is not about like 
not sinning. The Christian walk is about coming more and more holy, more and more like Jesus, which happens through like sinning and repentance. Just it's the cycle. And when you grow up thinking like, oh, I have to just, I have to work to not sin versus I have to work to be holy and be like Jesus. It just completely changes how you live. Yeah. It's such a, that's why I've heard people talk about, you know, certain sins or whatever. And, and they've said like, you don't, you don't start by changing that sin. Just go to church, just go to God, start focusing on being holy, start focusing on getting to know Jesus. The sin will take care of itself. Like if you're focusing Mm -hmm. on the action, that's not the point. That's like, that's the outside thing. Yeah. What God cares about the inside thing. And when you're transformed on the inside, then you ultimately are transformed on the outside. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so people, yes, I'm making sure too. I'm not, yes. Like, obviously we're not like, Hey, here's a, Sin free, <laughs> like go sin, like do all the sinning. But it's like that shouldn't be like the thing that we're after. It should be God's heart, which then, as you're saying, results in like yeah, not desiring those sins anymore. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, it's like no, definitely not like a free pass I on all the sin gal, gal either. Um, <laughs> but I do think like there's nuance in everything. And like a lot of times people get confused about it. Like, yes, we should do our best not to sin. However, (laughs) you know, you can't do everything all the time. So if you're going to focus on one thing, focus on the heart, I would say first and the actual, you know, action of the sin, maybe second, if you have to choose, (laughs) you don't have to choose you both. Um, (laughs) um, All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, I don't, is there anything else you wanted to share that I didn't ask about? I mean, I think we could talk all day. I think probably. probably. I know. I'm like, this could go on and on, but we'll have to stop somewhere. Um, yeah, we have to stop somewhere. If you think of anything else, though, you know, I can add it to the text or whatever. Okay. Um, but thank you so much. I think I think it's really helpful to hear this. Um, and what I like, I said already, like it's so helpful to hear these stories of of people that came from this really sort of traumatic background with things, and like yet still, you know came overcame that and came back to God and -hmm. showed that like, that's possible that the, that the fundamentalism and the trauma does not represent God himself. It represents people and their imperfections and their, you know, wrongly interpreted ways of, of the Christian faith. And so um, when we see those things happening, it's so many people put that Christian label over it, but really that's, that's the opposite of Christian. And when people distort God's word that way, that hurts him more than it hurts anybody else. And I just want to get that out there. So if you're listening, I hope you got the message today. We're right there with you. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks everyone for listening. And um, if you've enjoyed the show, uh, feel free to go subscribe, rate it, review it, share it with someone um, if you uh, think they would like it. Thanks so much. This episode was brought to you in part by The Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.